You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. James Emmanuel Levenstein and Michelle Annabeth Flaherty, I hereby pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We are continuing our look at the American Pie series with American Wedding. This came out in 2003, directed by Jesse Dillon, written by Adam Hertz, and stars uh, Jason Biggs, Allison Hannigan, uh, Eugene Levy, but also has some new actors in it uh, to the series, like Fred Willard and January Jones. Uh, I'm Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is Thrasher. You know, marriage, uh, it's its about compromise. It's about sacrifice. It's about being straight tripping, boo. You're uh, my, uh, you know, which doesn't happen as often anymore, but, uh, you know, your your mother can really knows how to make me squeal. Um, and uh, and Alex? Uh, yeah, we uh, should, we should all be so, uh, so happy. Yeah, so American Wedding, what to say about this one? I mean... A sequel? No. Great show, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> no, uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I saw this in, in the theater, as I did with um, at least the first three movies in this series. And and I see in other countries it was known as American Pie the Wedding, American Pie 3 the American Wedding. American Pie the Wedding. And I, I think that's a better title than American Wedding, because you hear the title American Wedding, and it doesn't quite scream that it's part of the American Pie series. If you see the poster, of course. Like char- the title of a charming indie movie. It really does, though. Like American Ultra, American Graffiti, American Nitro, American Wedding. Yeah. Yeah, something on, on the Sundance Film Channel. Uh, something that oh, starts Parker Posey. American Pop. Oh, yeah, there we go. Or like, uh, like a Brechtian Pop. takedown of like wedding conventions, you know, like mm-hmm. a Godardian style wedding film. Oh, could could be Godard, could be uh, something else. I mean, yeah, right. It could be a satire, right? It does have a bit of a. Ooh. This is. See, the American wedding represents the American wedding. <laughs> it's a takedown of heteronormative patriarchal thinking, man. And that get it as an apple pie again on the wedding on the the poster. Which you don't associate pies with weddings, but they had to. No, you do not. Cake. I think uh, there's a little irony there, but it's not funny. Not just that, but like it shows the bride and groom, but the groom doesn't have the right hair color. Yeah, but shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't the figures be doing something funny? That's uh, yeah, you would think so, right? Like, like the groom has like a boner or something, because that's like adjacent the uh, the punchline for every opening of the film of every one of these movies. I, I gotta say, though, be, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of cute that proposing to his wife gives him an erection. 
Well, no, no, he has an erection because at the time when he was going to, so it begins very tastefully with uh, like my dinner with Andre. He's gonna Almost propose too tastefully. To, yeah. to Hannigan. Andre, and, and and she and his build up to the proposal. There's a there's a farcical miscommunication where she thinks he's talking about like spicing up their sex lives. And so to prove that it doesn't need spicing up, she slides under the table to start performing a series of acts, I'll say. And then, of course, Jim, because he's a silly fool, he left the ring at home. And so Eugene Levy shows up to deliver him the ring. And then Eugene Levy just sits down at the table and things get a little weird. Uh, and finally, Allison Hannigan realizes the wedding proposal, comes out from under the table, uh, you know, J Jason stands up and or Jim uh, and. And, you know, he's, he's pantsless, everyone's shocked, but then it turns into a tender proposal. But yeah, then he is sprouting a monstrous erection. I'm not sure he needed that erection at the end. Like, I thought the gag was pretty good when he's, when it was more implied, where he's under the table getting uh, blown by his wife as he's talking to his dad. And, and there's like sort of puns in the dialogue. And Jason yeah. Biggs is really leaning into the physical comedy. I thought that was a <laughs> fine scene, but then to have it, where he comes off of the table and then and I don't know if it's like his belt's not on or something, the pants fall down again and he has an erection. I don't think that that button on the scene, it just well, seems we, like overkill. Like, I don't think well, we've already seen his butt. Yes. Yeah. I don't butt. know. Not like a, there's like a butt erection quota though. Oh, uh, the butt to erection <laughs> ratio. That's famous yeah. in comedy. <laughs> I do like the the double entendre of um, when Eugene Levy's there. There, he's like, you know, it might be hard now, but you're not gonna blow it. And he's like, oh boy, you know, yeah. right? You're, you're fit to burst. Yeah, yeah, and oh, look, look also, at the rock on that ring. I hope you didn't blow your whole wad all over that. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and the way Jim is at the table, where it's not like he's trying to sit up straight or be. Um, you know, carry on business like normal. It's like he's he's almost like slanted mostly under the table. Like, so it looks <laughs> weird anyway. Also, that's the kind of table where it doesn't have four legs. It has like the one thick leg in the middle with like the base on it. Oh, yeah. Those are difficult tables to do sexual things under. And like, and, and if two people are sitting at that table, there is no room for a third person under that table. So the so the physics of this scene are completely off. Just like the damn pie from the first film, you know, the, 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 the ratio is all off. Um, I have to say, though, it is kind of funny when like you get pervy like sex comedy, like when it's like an act of love. It's so much less creepy, like because they're not like, you know, teenagers anymore. Yeah. And because like they're like together, it's not like as like uh, fucking cringe inducing. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to that. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, there'll be plenty, plenty of that to come. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, too, it's there's some sweetness there, I guess, right? Yes, yeah, and I sort of, yeah, I don't know. It, I'm a bit surprised at how quickly they get engaged and start setting stuff up for the wedding. I thought, uh, I thought well, at the time when I first saw the film in the theater, then when I rewatched it for the show, in, in that, well, okay, like, can't you? Couldn't they stretch that out some? Usually there's a lot of, like, will they or won't they? And, and there's some of that drama here. But, like, it's almost right away, oh, he's going to meet the in-laws. And, oh, they got to pick the cake, got to pick the dress. Well, that's that's part of the problem with this. Well, it's sort of a twofold problem. Is that, one, this movie has some huge timeline issues. Because this movie 
could take place over the course of a year, or it could take place over the course of a three-day weekend. They do nothing to establish time in this film. But the other thing is, you could have so much, dare I say, even raunchy fun, you know, showing Jim... Uh, showing Jim and Michelle like doing the things you need to do to plan a wedding, but they never do. They only show hijinks. Yeah, I think um, I'm not too hung up on the timeline part. I for when it comes to like comedy and delivery, I prefer a story to move. I'm not too worried about in what time. I think we're all familiar with like the rigors of fucking wedding planning. Or maybe I'm just a little cynical because I've been in food service for like fucking 20 years, so I've catered many of events. Um, But getting, ramping up to the, uh, you know, the meeting the in-laws and all that shit and playing the bachelor party, I felt like the momentum was all right. Well, this is the other, this is the other thing that that is, that is kind of like bonkers, uh, is that, is it like Steve and Michelle have apparently been dating for at minimum three years Possibly as much as four, because we never really, we never learned what either of them majored in in college. <laughs> um, <laughs> like what their projected uh, careers are. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing, like, neither one of them seemed to have jobs, and it's established that Jim had to move back in with his parents at some point during college. So, like, yeah. I don't know how they're paying for all this, but they have what is effectively a huge destination wedding. But the, it's something that, that is such, so strained is that apparently Jim's family and Michelle's family have never met. The first time they meet is like, again, possibly a few days before or possibly a few months before the wedding. Oh, you know, maybe, um, you know, Jim doesn't strike me as someone who's very bright. Um, You know, maybe Michelle's parents are just so embarrassed their daughter ended up with a fucking bozo and just never (laughs) bothered to meet the parents. Maybe. (laughs) But but let's also lay something out, though, because, again, Allegan Hannigan, she she lived there. Her parents have to come in from out of town. That means her parents had to move away at some point during the first movie so that they would never meet their daughter's boyfriend. But that means that Allison Hannigan was living on her own as a high school student in this town. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. She was she was a she runaway was and she found her way when she wandered into a band camp site. And it's uh maybe, maybe. that's like what set her on the right track. But this is <laughs> but this is possibly the film's the film's greatest crime. So her dad, played by Fred Willard, that is brilliant Woo. casting, that is flawless casting. One, they underutilize Fred Willard. Two, you have a movie with Fred Willard and Eugene Levy. Uh, and Jennifer Coolidge all together. You have the perfect Christopher Guest reunion film, and they don't do anything with them. Literally, they barely I, share any screen time. You have Fred Willard, and you, like you said, that's it's such a waste of potential. 
You have, again, just Eugene Levy and Fred Willard together would be such a good... They don't banter or fucking swap jokes or they don't really no, do anything. Or, Granted, I love that they're here, but they are underutilized. Yeah, I mean, Willard is... He underplays the part a bit. It also should be noted the, the mother of Ellison is played by Deborah Rush, who um, acted in some Woody Allen films like Zillig, Purple Rose of, Purple Rose of Cairo, and she is married to Walter Cronkite's son, Chip Cronkite. Oh, interesting. But, well, I mean, we, she's doesn't isn't given a whole lot to do, and they make such a big to-do in the beginning about introducing the parents. And um, other than... I mean, and there's so many set pieces in the film where it's the same idea where something's happening in a room, and they're trying to distract people from entering the room. And the location of... Um, the house is used in so many scenes, it makes it feel a bit cheap. Like the scope of this seems a bit smaller, even though they do go to Chicago early on to, to pick out the um, designer for the dress and so forth. Well, I think so this is the thing is this, this, all of these movies have had farcical elements and this movie wants to be a complete farce with people running in and out of rooms and slamming doors and just doing it. And it, they make multiple references to Voltaire and how dare they drag Voltaire's name through the mud. Although Voltaire <laughs> like that, certainly. Um, but the problem is in a farce, people, because the thing about farce is people don't behave like reasonable adults, but in a good farce, people don't behave like reasonable adults because they are defeating themselves because of their own pride and hubris. Whereas in this movie, the people humiliate themselves because that's what the script tells them to do. The script said so is the only justification for virtually all character behavior in this film. Yeah, more or less. Um, I didn't mind the interiority of like the absurd, stupid shit going on in houses and trying to keep people from seeing stupid things that you're doing. It reminded me of just kind of a return to like the old like thirties era, Howard Hawks, Willie Wilder, like, you know, screwball comedy shit of a bunch of people are competing for something or someone. And they're going to act like complete fucking morons until they, you know, reach the climax. But yeah, but everything is just this like the improbable, improbable series of events that, that gets people embarrassed because like the whole thing at the engagement party is that so this is this is the again, this movie will introduce something that would be a great hook and then it just kind of drops it. And so part of this movie is that they've all effectively cut Stifler out of their life. And between the previous movie and this movie, Stifler has become a a football coach and i'm not sure who he's coaching because <laughs> ostensibly it's a high school team except whenever we see his players without their helmets they're all like at least college age although one of his players would appear to be in his 30s his late 30s um <laughs> but but like stifler is apparently like exactly where he he wants to be in his life as this coach and he gets offended that he wasn't invited to the engagement party, so he just shows up and behaves like an ass. And it all leads to Stifler on his back with his crotch covered with frosting and one of Michelle's parents' dogs licking it up, while another dog, their other dog, is trying to hump that dog, and Jim is trying to pull that dog off, but his pants have fallen down. So it looks like a weird human dog four way. And that's what they open the door and all the families see. It's so they, they it's so tortured getting to that point that the, the humor just 
just falls flat. But it's like, yes, Stifler should be out of your life. And there is absolutely no reason why you should be inviting him back in for this wedding. And the movie tries to introduce a reason, which is the notion that Jim wants to do a really romantic dance, first dance with uh, Michelle at the wedding. And of course, nobody knows that dance instructors exist. So instead, <laughs> it turns out in what could be character building, but isn't, is that Stifler's mom made him take dance classes when he was young. So he's actually a brilliant dancer and he's going to teach Jim to dance. And that's why he's allowed to sort of be a part of this. But here's the problem with the whole notion of Stifler is a brilliant dancer. We do see him dance a few times in this movie, and every time he dances, he dances like shit. But <laughs> everyone who sees him dance is awed, like they're seeing goddamn Barishnikov, who is another person who gets name-dropped in this movie. And the thing is, in a better movie, every character being awed by someone dancing terribly could be hilarious, but in this movie it looks like they don't care, because at one point he even has a dance-off, and both he and the other person in the dance-off dance like shit. They suck in the dance-off, both of them. I, I totally noticed that, because, like, even... I learned at an early age, good advice from my father, he said, you know, if you're at a party, or if you're at a bar, or you're at a concert... Even if you suck at dancing, make a half-ass attempt. Don't be a fucking stick in the mud. <laughs> oh, yeah. I if mean, you, the, the fact that right. you understand the one-two rhythm, you can fake dance your way into anything. Yeah, and, and they don't do that. can get you pretty far on the dance floor. I know this from experience. But in this, and the thing is, I, I and maybe I missed this, but I looked in the credits and I did not see a dance choreographer. And if you want on-screen proof that they didn't have a dance choreographer beyond just the fact that the dance moves are clearly improvised on the spot and they don't necessarily even know what songs on the soundtrack they're dancing to, there's a, there's a scene where it's Jim and Stifler, you know, doing the dance class, and Stifler's like, okay, now this is the waltz. But the thing is, the dance Stifler's doing is not a waltz, it's a foxtrot. Uh, ha -ha. Again, a better movie that could have been funny that he's naming things wrong. But no, that just proves to me, oh, you didn't have a dance choreographer because a dance choreographer laying out the choreography of that dance lesson scene would say, oh, no, no, he's doing a he's doing a foxtrot, not a waltz. We got exactly. to change this. Well, like in the dance off sequence, he's he's dancing with a character named Bear who uh, gets involved in the wedding. <sighs> he's, played, he's played by Eric <laughs> Allen Kramer who uh, people might know best as Little John from Mel Brooks's Robin Hood Men in Tights. That's right. He is and, a ray of sunshine in this movie, and I wish yeah. this movie was just about him. And an early film of his is one that is actually a, a sequel. Uh, it's Quest for the Mighty Sword, which is also no, known as Ator Three: The Hobgoblin. Oh, yes, and, Ator, and he plays Fighting Eagle. Yep, and he plays the lead in that. So he's oh, wow. also in True Romance. He was also, yeah. hey, he's a, he was a Marvel hero. He played Thor in The Incredible Hulk Returns. Oh, Damn. that's the TV movie. Okay, yep. Yeah, the TV movie that was a stealth pilot for a Thor series. I mean, he's done a lot of TV and stuff, but it's uh, it's interesting. So, I mean, he, but in this film, I think he's a, a different presence. He's, he's good. They make the, the joke that, oh, they're supposed to be doing kind of a stag party thing in Chicago. But they end up going to a gay bar, and then there's the dance-off. Like, I thought maybe this would be cringy revisiting it, but they actually treat it pretty well. Yeah, and there's a couple impressed. grown moments, but I was sure. like, I was like, oh boy, here we go. This is where it's all going to just fucking go down the shitter. And I got to say, I was 
for American Pie level, I was I was surprised. But there is I'm one not, line I'm, though. Oh, okay. why there was one line though when they're leaving and um and they're exchanging notes with Bear and he goes, "Oh yeah, I can get some girls for you." And he goes, "Real girls." And I'm like, uh, 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 "Yeah, that uh, was an unfortunate line choice." Gross. Gross. What's with the thing? The thing is though, like, I, a part of me, part of me wonders, is it really that the movie sort of because is it really that the movie handles the the gay bar setting with a bit more subtlety and nuance than it would have in any of the previous two films, or is it just that Stifler is such a goddamn asshole in this scene that it, we are only noticing his flaws and we're not noticing any other flaws in the scene? Right. It's possible. I mean, like I said, like the re- admirable restraint or respect, perhaps. Um, again, this is by American Pie standards, so bar not set so high. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I like, was expecting a character like Stifler to start vomiting or something when he realizes he's in a va- in a gay club, like just something that over the top. And they don't quite go there, but you're. I mean, Stifler is just such a entitled jerk from day one and uh i mean when i saw this film in in, in theaters with uh, my friend zach he said you know stifler doesn't feel like stifler in this film and it does in some ways it feels like um sean william scott and stifler here is like trying too hard and and there is sort of a nice patheticness to his character i mean he drives the the short bus he's coaching high school it's like he the football team at the school like he hasn't really moved on not that everyone has to leave their hometown or anything but it's just you know, he has to sneak in to get to that. He wasn't invited to the that engagement feels like party. That uh, one of the few true-to-life moments is that usually like, the captain of the football team and the fucking, you know, popular jock kid is usually the fucking guy who doesn't fucking set the world on fire and stays in their hometown and doesn't make anything of themselves. And keeps on wearing his uh, varsity jacket everywhere, yeah. Yeah, and, well, and, and it's, 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 yeah. It, in a smarter movie, you could mine so much about these other characters doing everything they can to improve their lives and being miserable, whereas this asshole who has plateaued so early is the happiest man in the world. You could get so much out of that, but this movie doesn't even try. Instead, you kind of have, you know, a big thing with between Stifler and Finch, and they're trying to woo uh, the uh, younger sister of Michelle uh, yeah, who, Cadence, who, played by who, January who, Jones. Yeah, who, who is yeah, she's fun? But it's but it's also one of those things where like I don't buy that she would ever be interested in either one of these people. Yeah, right. Also, um, when she's on screen, and I said this to my partner, she totally agreed. Just based on her hair and the style, the, like this movie wants her to be Gwyneth Paltrow. Like if you mm, can yeah. look at Gwyneth Paltrow from this yeah. early two thousands, and if you look at the way January Jones is like outfitted and wardrobe and the way her hairstyle is. It's like they're they're really pushing for that vibe, and January Jones is has her own vibe. Let her do her but own But again, thing. this is another hook that could have been a whole movie on its own, where as Stifler and and Finch both decide to compete over this woman, Stifler's strategy is to act like Finch, and Finch's strategy is to act like Stifler, and both strategies kind of work, but the movie like repeatedly drops that notion. Like it, like it forgot that it was doing that. It also seems. Well, it's also like like, a testament to you know if one person, you know if it would if Fitch would just simply just not be up his own ass so much, he'd probably be a much more appealing guy. And if Stifler wasn't such a massive fucking asshole, he'd probably be a pretty tolerable guy too. (laughs) 
But they have to swap personalities to actually, you know, be half a decent person. (laughs) Well, they spend time on that and they seem to forget that half the original American Pie cast exists because they're not really in this movie. You have uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas as Kevin in for like maybe one scene, but you don't have uh, Tara Reid. You don't have. um... Well, she got out, obviously. Yeah, you don't have the. uh, Oh, whoever her blanking on was it Chris Klein? Yeah, he's not in this. Yeah, Chris Klein, uh, Mina Savari, Natasha Leone. I don't think is in this. Yeah, so you know, it's... I saw her credited at one point. I'm wondering if she like filmed a scene that was like deleted or something. It, it yeah, could the Wikipedia be. page it says uh, the only film in the theatrical series which uh, where Chris Klein, Chris Owen, Mina Savari, Tara Reid, Shane Elizabeth, and Natasha Leone do not appear. So I guess okay, my back. mistake then. I mean, Mina Savari too. Yeah, I mean, so I mean that it's the wedding. That's the thing you expect everyone to show up for, and yet they're not in this movie. And it's, well, this is also a huge wedding, but neither Jim nor Michelle seem to have any family or friends. So who are all the people at the wedding? Hey everyone, it's David Petrangelo, one of your hosts from Remember 64, the podcast that goes on the totally tubular journey through the Nintendo 64's library. Join us as we dive into classics from Nintendo, Rare, and into the early days of polygons and 3D worlds. Yes, we're covering it all from top of the charts down to the dingy basement and everything in between. We may even find a few hidden gems. Ooh, intriguing. Remember 64, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Ian Nicholas is in it a little bit, but I mean, it's so Stifler-centric that, and then not that he wasn't a presence in the other films, but it just seems like everyone loves Stifler, and it's like, it's too much that they're having him do to, to drive the plot, and him trying to act like a nice guy, and then him, you know, making up stuff with the flowers at the end, making that up for everyone. It just it's like we were saying earlier like so much else in the movie is just so labored that it's almost like they figured out the punchlines and kind of let's do the the quickest way to to hit the punchlines instead of thinking of a more organic story that would make sense or yeah i mean fred willard i think the one moment i did laugh is they have a very um drawn out sort of bachelor party thing where they go oh. and uh, uh yeah, uh, let me just point out a bachelor yeah. party that jim does not seem to have been invited to yeah i mean that, that's strange too right <laughs> but i mean you have like these topless uh maids and and people and and their underwear locked up in closets and stuff and then uh michelle's parents walk in on this stuff happening but like jim is is barely there and the and the excuse that they do as a cover is it's like well we wanted to make it seem like he was a hero in rescuing these people as before the police come and it, it it's just like who would even buy that but but there's this yeah, the french right. made like at one point like whips fred willard and he seems to like it and then his wife yells at him and he's like i meant he's like i didn't mean it or he said i didn't mean to say ouch or something like that's the one bit of comedy they sort of give him but otherwise like, why oh, have honey, fred willard in tradition yeah yeah but otherwise why have fred willard in the role at all if you're not going to give him, let him cut loose a bit. Well, the whole the whole bachelor party scene it's as cl- it's as close as the film comes to working as a farce because we do get the people sneaking around and hiding, but it has a really fucked up timeline because again, there's the t- there's the two there's is that 
uh, is that the as bear? It turns out he like manages like a group a group of strippers. Which again, that you could m- get a whole movie out of the, like a tough bearish like gay guy who manages a bunch of women sex workers because because it would be like oh yeah yeah you're under no sexual threat for me so I am the ideal employer for you. <laughs> like you could get so much out of that, but like the timeline is messed up because they like strip but then put clothes on again and strip and then like weird sex games happen. But again, when you see the order they happen in, it's like, well, wait a minute. When did they have time to do the cleanup after that previous act? And like one of them is cop themed. The other is French maid themed and hat uses the French accent, but she goes by the stage name Fraulein Crystal, which oh. is German. So why doesn't she fake affect a German accent? But the, the other thing that, that is absolutely bonkers is that apparently the reason why Jim is not there is he said he couldn't make it because he had to go out of town to do something with Michelle's parents. But that was just a fake out for some reason so that he could bring Michelle's parents back to his place alone. I don't know where Jim's parents are to like have dinner for them. But, you know, and he cooked dinner the way we all do. Put an entire Thanksgiving dinner in the oven and then left the house for five (laughs) hours. Uh, and, And again, I don't know if anyone's like cooked but you can smell a turkey in the oven and they don't notice that there's a whole goddamn meal in the oven until Finch opens it while putting hot, putting chocolate sauce on his body. (laughs) Also with the German, with the German dancer, if you have German and dominatrix, that's way too close to Nazi. This is probably why they didn't lean into that. Well, cause, but again, they had the, like, I guess like you're going to, for this, for this movie that doesn't have much of an imagination, you're going to do, you're going to do just the, t- the two most basic, like stripper sexual fantasies, the French maid and the naughty school teacher. But I guess they couldn't rent a naughty school teacher outfit. So they arbitrarily made the other one a cop. Right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, like village people level of imagination. <laughs> And then for some reason, Bear pretend like oh, they they decide like Bear walks in and they think Bear is like a sommelier and he fakes a British accent and starts calling himself Mr. Belvedere. That was and, like the best part of the movie. Yeah, Eric Allen Kramer is so game. Like again, I wish there was more of him. I think that like Mr. Belvedere, that's fucking hilarious. I'm sorry, I f- I fucking nearly fell off the couch laughing with that because it was just it was so stupid. And he is so fucking charming. The screen loves him. The camera loves him. He's so oh, yeah. good in every scene that he's in. Um, again, like you said, Thrasher, you could get so much mileage from this character and all. And if you want, like you know, sex comedy hijinks, yeah, a guy who books exotic dancers and fucking you know probably manages a gay bar. Boom, that's like a that's fucking three movies right there. <laughs> But yeah, and, and and it finally, you know, it all it all you know builds up to the wedding, which I think we're supposed. Oh, and uh, another name dragged through the mud. They, so this is so weird. Is that during during the uh, part they they play a couple of different songs during the whole stripper scene, including a Bahamut song. But they play Fat Boy Slim's remix of Groove Armada's "I See You Baby Shaking That Ass." Oh yeah, which. Yeah. I absolutely adore Fatboy Slim. Uh, I got that album, uh, and and yeah, and and like don't 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 sully his music with this. <laughs> and yet, uh, that song's not on the soundtrack, and I can't even find it listed with the songs that appear in the movie, but did but weren't on the soundtrack. It's like it's like he had his name removed. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, the Foo Fighters playing the beginning too. That's the opening song, right? Uh, no, it was that uh, that. Oh. Uh, 
She only come when she's on top, which they bookend the movie oh. with. I always forget the Yeah, the not the opening. I'm thinking of um I felt like I heard the Foo Fighters at some point, but they're, they're No, no, here. there is there is a Foo Fighters uh times like these. Oh, okay, yeah, totally. But um yeah, but the wedding so apparently I think we're supposed to believe that this is like a cliffside hotel at the Great Lakes, but it's a Ritz hotel in I believe like on the off the coast in California is where they actually filmed it, which again would make me think, oh, is this a destination wedding? <laughs> <laughs> and just again, things happen. Like th- there's a there's a joke early on, of, like where someone makes a reference to shaving their balls, and when Jim is in his checking into his hotel suite, there's this lovely gift basket that's got wine and these fancy glasses and and, and little cheesy comestibles, and then for some reason has an electric razor in it, like you do, <laughs> and he decides to shave his balls, which he does it the wrong way. I know something about grooming body hair. The way he shaves his balls, he would <laughs> cut the fuck up out of his balls. <laughs> and then and then you know oh all the pubic hairs collected on the bathroom mat so what does he do does he shake the mat out into a trash can does he shake the mat out into a toilet no he shakes it out an open window so that we can have more hijinks and then it gets sucked into a kitchen fan and blown all over the cake just so we can get a shot of a cake covered in pubic hair but those kitchen fans are for ventilation they blow out not in so again yeah. this film has contempt for its audience and contempt for Vera similitude that's not how they work yeah you don't you don't blow air into a kitchen you want the hot air to go out because ovens are hot yeah yes. so the dog you're scene. curious oh the dog scene so due, due to Stifler's charm, he has managed to convince Michelle's parents that he's the person who should watch the, the ring because it's like her grandmother's wedding ring. Uh, and so he has it. And, of course, you know something's going to go wrong with it. And, of course, something went wrong with it. He was feeding sausages to the dogs and threw out the ring and one of the dogs ate it. So he has to wait for the dog to poo. And the dog poos pretty quick. He gets it back and he picks it up in, like, one of those little, like, paper things you keep little can like little sweets sweet cakes in and when he's trying to get back to the hotel to wash it off he runs into michelle's parents and again because the script said so they're like oh what's that oh it's a chocolate truffle we're not supposed to have those till tomorrow can i have one and like it's just to get stifler to, to eat dog poo and let me just put it this way stifler is no divine in this scene he does not eat dog poo <laughs> with the with the grace and dignity of divine. Not just that, but in the scene, like, can't they smell that it smells like dog shit? Like that was my hang up. I, I don't get, I try not to get hung up on like the particulars or what would happen in real life, but like you're holding a hot piece of shit. Like it's going to smell. And also you could just, you have a perfect out. You could just say, I'm sorry, this isn't a chocolate truffle, but I just cleaned up after my dog. Please excuse me. I need to dispose of the shit. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing, because that's what a responsible dog owner does. The hotel staff doesn't it appreciate those unusual. dogs doing things on their immaculate lawn. I mean, yeah, also, if, you, if, if you're playing yeah. the good boy angle, you could say, oh, some irresponsible person didn't clear up after their dog. I took the liberty of doing it for them. I'm a good guy because he's doing the good guy thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you could also have, uh, you know, if he's such a good guy, he could offer them the poop and then they they eat it and then it's his horror as like wait a second the arena's still in there with him not remembering 
I don't know. I mean, there's it's just haha, Stifler eats shit. I don't. It's all that stuff is just kind of forced and good and bad, and it's not like. If you're going to go to the trouble of having Stuff Stifler try to do a good persona, why not just have him have a twin brother? It's a nice Stifler. <laughs> well, he has a little brother who never He does have a little brother, right. I mean... Well, I think we're okay without the little brother. Uh, yes. they. In fact, his, his brother and cousins and everything, that's what all the direct-to-video sequels are about. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. I think, though, like, with this lineup... I mean, if you're going to give one of the supporting characters an arc, it's not going to be Finch or Kevin. Again, it's just, you're going to give it to the most interesting person that's not the main characters. It's going to be Sean William Scott. There's no other way around it. Unfortunately. I suppose so. Or, or you give, like, J- John Cho and his best friend, like, give them a movie. Like, I want to see them go on a quest for a MILF of their own. Like, you could you could mine <laughs> something out of that. Yeah, they're good actors. They just get you know, kind of little to to do here and there. I mean, I think by the time this film came out, had um, I don't think Harold and Kumar had come out yet, had it? Uh, I think the Let's first one out. had, hadn't it? Internet, when did Harold and Kumar come out? This is 2003. Alex, Harold and, Harold and oh, Kumar no. came out the year after, 2004. Yeah, next year, so. Okay. There we go. Um, so like some more so some just some stuff that just in, infuriated me because of how lazy it is. And so Stifler, while trying to, you know, seduce Michelle's younger sister, which again, you know, it's funny, they never establish how young, but presumably she's like in her early twenties, because I guess she's in college. Uh again, presumably they give they they don't give her much of a, a background or an inner life, but she she uh you know, he he goes into this like big walk-in fridge to get some wine. And messes with some switches, which turn the, because this is apparently how it works, turns the freezer into an oven, killing all the flowers. <laughs> but, like, his romantic stuff falls apart because uh, Finch is there, and they have a confrontation, and Stifler does this whole, I'm going to milk them titties like a cow or whatever. And he does this, like, pantomime thing of, like, which the pantomime I actually thought was a good bit of physical comedy, but then his cow noise sounds like a cat. <laughs> and then of course Michelle's sister walks in, sees this, and decides that she doesn't want to be a part of a part of this until she forgets that she decided that later. Yeah, right. Um, right. It, I mean, also like if you are someone who gets hit on a lot, you're probably having a good you probably have like a very trained nose for when a guy is full of shit. So it's just kind of funny. I, I don't buy that um cadence wouldn't pick up on the whole fucking Stifler's routine quicker. Stifler and Finch's routine quicker than she does. Because, I mean, obviously it's January Jones. This is someone who's probably been propositioned by, by by many people. And I'm sure she would probably fucking see through the facade pretty quickly. Again, you're looking for, I'm looking for reason in an unreasonable movie, so I can't get that hung up on it. But, you know, yeah, these are all Stifler. just the... Stifler has very uncharacteristic remorse and decides he wants to do right by Jim, I guess ostensibly because he still thinks he can get laid. And so he tracks down the the woman who runs the flower shop where they got the flower arrangements for and is like, well, you got to help me replace all, all these flowers. And she rightly says no. Because, <laughs> uh, because again, keep in mind, that costs money. Our, like 
are you going to pay her to redo what is probably a thousand plus dollars worth of flower arrangements? But Not then, just money, but time. Oh yeah, time. Yeah. And then he does this like stupid coach speech, which apparently works because it gets her to open the 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 door again. Although we then, because like, cause you know, you know what would make this work is if he does the coach speech and she says hell no, and then he just throws money at her. And then she agrees to do it. Like, that's the only way this works. But then later, like, we see, like, him, like, directing his football players to put up the flower arrangements. If he actually had a moment of clarity, if he was, if he had a moment where he goes, you know, I've been such a fucking asshole my whole life, but I think I'm actually in love for the first time and, like, put a little emotion into it. I think that would actually, like, indicate transformation of the character. And it's not just a fucking facade, you know? Like, if they're, you know, it would be, like, corny, but it would, I think it would serve the scene a bit better. Yeah, and I guess, so, I guess we, we, we've alluded to this, but I think we, we need to talk about Jim's grandmother. The only relative he seems to have. Oh, what the fuck, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, the grandmother is introduced, and once again, the grandmother has never met her grandson's fiance, um, and for, for no adequately explained reason, and she... She is, and and you know she she is something of she is something of a, of a Jewish grandmother stereotype. She kvetches quite a bit, um, but when she finally meets Michelle, she has like a little panic attack because Michelle's not Jewish, and I guess you know she wanted she wanted her grandson. And this is when they firmly establish that Jim and his family are in fact Jewish. Although I got the sense that his mother wasn't Jewish, so like I guess she didn't object to that wedding. Or maybe she did, and they're just not thinking to give the family any kind of background. Um, and again, this whole idea that the grandmother objects to the wedding and that's going to cause problems is very quickly dropped and never like it's alluded to once, and then it never comes back. Uh, and, and also, it, it's so it's so weird, and, and this goes into why Fred Willard is better than this movie that when. There's a there's a whole bit where where the family is eating together and Fred Willard you know says we look forward to many pleasant shivers which is a goddamn hilarious line <laughs> if you know if you know what sitting shiva is that is right. goddamn comic genius so I'm glad someone knows Yiddish in this movie because the whole time I'm like well why doesn't the grandmother call her a shiksa yeah I mean that's like I, you know, that's like a, again, that's a freebie. It's right there. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And, and, but, but you don't how, need they, scholarly, how they get out of it. You don't need scholarly knowledge of uh, Judaism to, to know the, a couple of funny slang words. But, but like the, and the way they get out of it, this, and this, this, this horrified me until it didn't uh, in a weird way is that, um, so Stifler, for some reason, Michelle's younger sister has decided she will have sex with Stifler in this one broom closet because they, she doesn't have a hotel room in the hotel she's staying at. <laughs> um, and so, but like Jim calls this like emergency groomsmen's meeting. And so Stifler has to be, to be responsible, has to rush to be there. But I love that the emergency meeting is him just wanting to have a moment alone with his best male friends to say, you know, I love and respect you guys. I'm glad we're all here. That was kind of touching and very real. And then sort of stiff, then Stifler runs back and in the process, Jim's grandmother has been left in the care of John Cho and his friend for some reason. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, she was bumming us out, man. We got rid of her. We put her in a closet, which is horrific thing to do to a, to a person. And apparently <laughs> that's Stiff, that's closet. You know, Michelle's sister got tired of waiting and left. That's the closet she's in. So Stiffler goes in there and starts having sex with Jim's grandmother. Just like every and, wedding, you know, I've ever been to. Yeah, and, and of course he gets caught doing this. And the whole time I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. But then when, like, the lights come on, on and they're caught Jim's grandmother is into it which I was thankful for because otherwise this would have been a grotesque and horrific I mean it's grotesque but at least it's not horrific and like but again there's like you shows the quality of the writing because like when they realize it's the grandmother the grandmother just kind of like leans she's on her back she leans up and like starts shaking Stifler by the shoulders going focus baby focus <laughs> when really you you have an old lady. You could have her swear. You could have an old lady swear and say something horny, but you don't even do that. Yeah, you could. But you apparently, know. all she needed was to get laid, and then she's fine with the wedding. Which again, in a better movie, could have been hilarious. Right. You know, have her say fucking. You know, fucking buck up, kiddo. I'm not done yet. I don't something shit like that. I don't fucking know. Um. Again, it's a freebie. It's right there. Take it. And then after all this, I mean, the actual wedding itself in the movie, I just didn't feel anything. Like, you think you'd, you'd feel moved or, or touched or everything. You, but you kind of forget about Michelle. And yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. she, the movie does, and also her accent, in the middle of the movie, she just loses her accent throughout most of the middle. And it comes back at the end when she has her heartwarming moment with Jim's dad, which I did kind of like. Also, there was no table of, like, band camp geeks. I thought that would have been funny. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought right? we were gonna see her band friends play at the wedding, or she play a song. That's not uncommon, you know. If you've ever been yeah, to a wedding, yeah. I also ever. thought, yeah, because her whole thing is how do you express love? How do you explain what it is? And I thought, oh, she's gonna whip out her flute and do like a little flute thing. But no, no, she just kind of she makes reference to a funny haircut as a reference to Jim shaving his balls. Um, and the way the priest keeps upstaging everything, I assume we were supposed to recognize who he was, but I have no idea who that priest is. Yeah, um, I got nothing there. I'm pretty good at spotting weird people in cameo roles. Funny bit of business. Um, the uh, the saleswoman at the um at the dress shop or Finch makes the fucking Ulysses reference. Uh, Antoinette Spoiler is um, Larry David's assistant on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, that's right. And Deborah also, Rush played uh, Larry David's um, mother-in-law in Curb Your Enthusiasm. So we, we, we've all heard Death of a Thousand Cuts. This movie is Death of a Thousand Axe Wounds. So one of the things I noticed, <laughs> there's a flower girl. There's a flower girl at the procession at the wedding. And, or as I like to call it, a calathump. Uh, look it up, it's real. Um, but he, she, the the, fl the flower girl, um, again, neither Jim nor Michelle seem to have any cousins, nieces, nephews, whatever. So is she, so is she related to one of them, or is she like a freelance flower girl you can hire? Yeah, I don't really, what, what, I don't, yeah, that's, I don't get that one. Um... But the, I also feel like the flower drama feels like so like it's it's such like an inept plot device because like do you really think of Michelle as like a flower like do you think like she's like a bridezilla like oh the flowers are ruined you ruined everything Stifler like 
I don't know. This is the blowjob under the table chick. So, right? Like, does that track? I don't know. Well, no, I mean, it does seem a bit, a bit unearned. It does seem like a, a bit like unearned. And again, he's not feeling remorse because he's messed up a, a, a wedding that he's been thoroughly messing up already. He's upset because it's going to interfere with his ability to get laid. <laughs> so yeah, I can't exactly. feel too bad for him. But this movie yeah, seems yeah, to right, think right. you'll feel bad for him. And how dare you, movie? <laughs> also, again, if they actually, like, implied that there was some, like, real connection between Stifler and fucking um, Cadence, I would I would have less of an eye roll to the rest of the preceding storyline. But it just, and the, again, like, the climax is like, what, fucking in a broom closet? It's like, are you fucking, what are you, 12? We're going to play fucking seven minutes in heaven? Like. And they also, like, mess it up. Because, like, like, while the wedding is happening and the groomsmen are all lined up, Finch makes, like, a joke about about Stifler having sex with Jim's grandmother. And, you know, and he's like, you're you're a grandmother fucker. And Stifler's like, you're a motherfucker. No, it should be reversed. It should be him making the joke, Stifler calling him a motherfucker. And he should be like. Yes, that's right. I am a motherfucker. And you're a grandmother fucker. Like, Finch should have the last word there. Yeah, or like... Especially since Stifler's mom does show up for no reason. Or they're like, you know, after all these years, that's the thing we have in common. You know, that could have brought them close together, too. Yeah, and like, the the, the appearance of Stifler's mother, I guess it's just, you know, you gotta get everybody back, but she's not invited to the wedding. She's just like, I guess, crashing it. And of course, she and Finch re-hook up, uh, and it leads to this this whole like that. That's what's so weird is like the final shot of the movie is is uh, Stifler's mother is in this big bubble bath next to a window, and John Cho and his friends show up to 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 creep on her because they got get to finally see her naked, and then like Finch like rises up out of the bubbles, uh, and then she pushes him back down. Ha ha. And then, like, there's too much steam coming out of this vent, so it fogs up the window and they can't see. And that's how you end it. No! (laughs) You end it with Jim and Michelle on their honeymoon, and something silly happens. Like, Yeah. Not only that, you end with the um, Stifler's mom, and you don't do the Mrs. Robinson cue like you've done in the other films. Yeah. Well, they probably couldn't afford it. Yeah, right. You could I, again like cut to um cut to Michelle and Jim and you know like just have them like laid out and there's like a flute and like kinky paraphernalia everywhere and their hair is messed up and they're like oh my god you know what I mean like it's that's again that's a freebie it's right there it's so easy you've established that these characters are horn dogs for one another you establish that Michelle's a little you know a little freaky um you establish that she has a interpretive way of handling instruments I mean there's a thousand jokes right there. Yeah, or like the parent, but all of the parents could walk in by accident. You know, yeah, right. it's just kind of there's a mix up at the, the concierge, posse. right? And they go to the wrong room. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but the, and or, or you know, and I hate that I'm doing all this free punch up for a movie that we can't travel back in time and fix. Yeah, right. But like, but there was one. There was one scene that I actually thought was really touching when everybody's dancing. And again, they make such a big deal about Jim learning to dance, and we barely see his dance, his first dance with Michelle. We see one little flourish, and then that's it, because everyone else shows up to dance, which again is not typically how those dances at the wedding work. But anyway, um, is that you know uh, Jim's parents and Michelle's parents are dancing next to each other, 
And like Jim's father says, and it's so wonderful that they've like stayed virgins up until they're getting married. <laughs> and like Jim for and Jim's dad for once doesn't be awkward and fuck things up. You know, he's like, oh no, yeah, they've uh, they've stayed uh, very very pure. And like you know, he he covers he covers for for Jim and Michelle, even though Michelle's mother clearly knows she's been sexually active. <laughs> That, also, I the thought was really, that? that I thought was really sweet. <laughs> I thought the funny thing would be if, like, you cut to the day after and all the parents are in the same bed, like a Bob, Ted, Carol, and Alice moment. Like, <laughs> oh, God. We all, <laughs> you something. know. <laughs> well, you know, my, your wife, your, your mother and I, we, we've, have, we've been adventurous. Uh, it's, it's not unusual that we have invited a uh, third or a uh, fourth uh, into the, uh, the uh, marriage bed. Uh, oh God, that would be that would be hilarious <laughs> if these characters turned out to have this other inner life. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Call me Dartan because we've officially uh, crossed swords. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll be Porthos. Uh, is what he would say. Yeah. Right. Right. I, and then I Jennifer like... Coolidge would walk in, and I'll be Cardinal Richelieu. <laughs> and she's dressed as like a sexy, sexy cardinal. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the director of this film, Jesse Dillon, is the son of uh, Bob Dylan. Oh, hey, oh. buddy, you're gonna direct American Wedding. Ooh. You see, they, they could have gotten some Dylan music cheap. Right, yeah. I wouldn't think, uh, but... Um, a cameo, he walks in, he's like, I'm too old for this shit. I mean, overall, American Wedding, I would give a sequel no. I think it's just, it's really labored and forced. feels feels overly long. The wedding, I don't think, given what the other two American Pie weddings for were, uh, I don't think a wedding is what people were looking for. Or like, why not do weddings of multiple characters all at one celebration or something? I don't know. Or make There's the just... whole movie The Bachelor Party. Yes, Right, yeah, American Bachelor bachelor and bachelorette parties. Yes, well, that's true, true, right? Yeah, you don't see that much with Michelle in this film, despite. Yeah, again, we know Michelle's a little freaky too, so that's a lot of fucking energy you get into the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, it just seems like sort of wasted opportunity. It becomes the Stifler show in kind of the worst way. There's some funny scenes here and there, but I, and that the whole crew isn't back together, I think, just makes it feel. Um, weirdly compromised. Like, I'm just not sure why you would even bother not having those other characters in here. It makes it not feel like a real film. I mean, it feels like the direct-to-video spinoff, sort of. So, yeah, I would say sequel now. Um, Alex? Oh, I will say, I actually laughed more in this one than any of the other American Pie films. And I, I, this might sound very strange. I actually enjoyed this much more than the other American Pie films. Okay. Um, but I can't recommend it, though. I mean, there's some okay stuff. There's there's a lot of... It's, it's frustrating because I think we spent a lot of time and energy that the film doesn't deserve into punching up the script, po- like <laughs> writing our alternate script to a different movie. Um, again, I thought there were some funny bits. I thought there were some funny gags. I think evoking the spirit of like old school screwball comedies was a good idea but there's just too much wasted potential to really to really recommend it all right uh it does not spread the jam in it does not fuck the pie (laughs) the pie great i mean i said at the beginning sequel no this just this just isn't 
worth it unless you want an example for your screenwriting class about how not to make how not to write a movie i mean if you told me that they took the first page of the script the last page of the script and then shuffled the pages in between and that's why these scenes are in such a weird order i'd believe you like like for instance when jim gets a dance lesson from stifler before stifler has agreed to give him dance lessons and before it's been revealed that stifler apparently knows how to dance things like that happen all the time um the if you want if you must watch it just watch all the bachelor party scenes because some of the far stuff works you get a little bit of uh you know you 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 get a little bit of of some some decent decent ish improv ish comedy but you see all the best and all the worst of the movie this movie in about 10 minutes and then that's all yeah. you need watch all the scenes with eric allen kramer and january jones <laughs> that's that's when it's <laughs> decent that's when it's fun to watch actually Fred Willis, the rest, Fred eh. yeah all right so uh, next week we're going to be talking about American Reunion, which doesn't come out until, you know, 2012, come out a whopping nine years after this film. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but before we do all that, let's uh, do what you're watching. I'm uh, just finished watching a, a TV series. I won't really, I won't spoil it exactly, but I, I finished um, season three of the show Picard, the Star Trek show on Paramount Plus. Mm. And I've heard good things. Yeah, you know, it's good. In some ways, like, it feels like what people wanted the show to be to begin with. And it kind of contradicts some stuff that happened in the first two seasons. And it, it's certainly done, I think, <laughs> as a standalone where you can watch it, not see season one and two, and still be pretty much not be too lost as far as what's happening. So it's, um, yeah, I'd say it's good. I mean, I guess if you want to do the whole experience, you can start from season one, but God, each season feels like it's trying to be like a soft reboot in a way, which is just bizarre, despite some continuity with the characters and so forth. It It is so weird that, that streaming, because that streaming has brought back the phenomena of the show that doesn't get good until three seasons. in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's moments that are good with the other seasons, but it's just by the time it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think back to that first season of Picard and it's like, I don't think Picard even gets on a ship until four episodes into it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's rough. It's sort of, you know, trying to be more contemplative and serious, and I think that's true of all three seasons. But the, you know, you want a Picard series to kind of bring the the whole Next Generation crew back together, and and in season three, eventually, more or less, that's what happens, um, as they've revealed with all the promotional stuff. So, it's, and yet the time it takes to get there, uh, I mean, it's a good story. There's interesting things going on, of course, but. Um, it also pulls its punches in weird ways, and I'm being sort of vague because I don't want to really spoil things. But I, I would say overall, I recommend it, and um, I'm very curious about a show, a new show coming soon on Paramount Plus. I think just called The Family Stallone, which is a reality show about Sylvester <laughs> Stallone and um, his wife and daughters. So 
I, that, that that looks like something that came right out of the late 90s with the Hulk Hogan and the Snoop Dogg. Oh. And it worked and out so well for them. Reality shows. I mean, mm-hmm. well, those went on for several seasons. So, But for something like this to come out now just seems a bit like, really? Like, and his daughters have a podcast. And, you know, well, so, I mean. It sounds like a joke they would have made on 30 Rock. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does. And it's just like. In the trailer for that series, they show Al Pacino, oh. and uh, oh. and they show Frank Stallone. Oh. So, I mean, I just wonder what it's going to really be at the end of the day. And hey, um, if he gets a divorce, they can retitle it to Stallone Alone. Stallone well, at one point, they thought that was going to happen last year, but then they reconciled. Oh. And maybe, was that all something done for the TV show? I don't know. Like, it's... Well, well... We'll see. I mean, I'll be watching that out of a morbid curiosity, but it just seems like such a strange, like, why, why now, I guess is what I don't understand. The world needs another Al Pacino performance. I'm hiding in your walls, I'm Al Pacino. It's, uh, it's the whole family Stallone. Wow. I thought it was a rocky ride going here. Where, where's the porn? I'm on a podcast. Where's the fucking porn? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm fucking Al Pacino. Oh, boy. You ever see Monk? It's a show. Not about monks. I mean, yeah, I frankly, I'd rather see a reality show about Al Pacino. But I've never stepped in a Dunkin' Donuts. Ever. Oh, I wonder if he gets free Dunkin' Donuts the rest of his life for being in Jack and Jill. <laughs> the Dunkin' Chino scene. There's a, anyhow, I'm kind of going all over the place, but yeah, Star Trek Picard season three is um pretty good. I mean, there's moments at the ending where they're trying to wrap everything up, where it feels a bit labored. Where it's like, oh, we got to put a bow on this and a bow on this, and oh, let's make a reference to this. Yeah, I have. I haven't caught up with any of the recent Star Trek shows in the past like ten years. I'm just. I think I'm just done with it all. All long-running franchise things. This is like, I'm just blah. blah, blah, blah. And again, I mean, I like, guess when people are like, oh, it doesn't get good till the second or third season, I'm like, maybe it's a bad show. I mean, yeah, that is a lot of time to invest. I'll, I'll give you that. And uh, yeah. And however, you know, if you're going to watch one of those newer Star Trek shows, I would say either watch um, Strange New Worlds, which is, is kind of... Uh, about Captain, what well, is about Captain Pike, the guy who was the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk, and it, it feels more like a, a Star Trek show with going to different planets and stuff. Um, and then the other, the uh, the one, uh, the animated series Star Trek uh, Lower Decks is actually pretty funny. That's pretty fun. fun. Yeah, yeah. There's a spec like script I need to finish for that. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, cool stuff. All right. Um, Thrasher, what are you watching? So I watched uh, something. Uh, I watched a, a fascinating uh, artifact from uh, 1965. The the movie that reunited Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, uh, The Great Race, which if I describe it to you would sound like a joke from The Simpsons because in fact, The <laughs> Simpsons did make reference to this with the contrabulous fab traption of Professor Horatio Huffnagel. Uh, the the great race, it's essentially it's a live action wacky races, and in fact it, it did inspire the wacky races cartoon. It's set in like the 
early it's it's set in like i think like 1909 or something where you know back when automotive driving was a gentleman's art and there are these two rival gentleman motorists um the great leslie who's your you know your literally white-hatted hero and professor fate who's like an escape artist and daredevil and they get involved in this uh the great leslie sets up this like a an automobile race around the world to prove the supremacy of american auto engineering and so it's it's and there are other racers they get dispatched with so quickly when the race starts like the movie is a third over before the race starts and <laughs> this movie is long as hell it's 160 minutes um it's one of the few things that if you took the the this premise and this structure and rebooted it as a streaming series it would actually work because you just every episode they're racing through a new location in their race around the world and they're always ready to stop for a musical number uh Jack Lemon uh, plays two parts because he not only plays Professor Fate, he also plays this prince who I think is modeled off of Archduke Ferdinand, who's like this alcoholic who runs his own Ruritanian country, and they foil a coup attempt. What the fuck? Like all sorts of bizarre. Oh, Vivian Vance is in it as a, a member of the women's suffrage movement because part, part of the big thing is the the love interest uh, is is that uh, Natalie Wood plays this woman reporter based on Nellie Bly, who we've talked about before, because Nellie Bree in that in the Fible, the uh, American tale Monster of New York was based on her. She embeds herself in, she enters the race so that she can cover it firsthand, but her car gets destroyed, and so the great Leslie lets her ride with him, and it's this weird will-they-won't-they they romance. And, like, it's, it's so weird, because it is long, it is boring. It is padded, but it's mm -hmm. gorgeous Technicolor. It's so fascinating to see them commit to making these cartoonish things happen in live action, like the gadgets on Professor Fate's vehicle. Uh, also, it's significant because like, it, it does bleed into other media because we talked about the Wacky Races. We talked about the Simpsons. Um, the catchphrase, Professor Fate's catchphrase, he has this servant called Max his bumbling sidekick and he has his catchphrase is push the button max and then max will say i'm pushing the button boss that was always the end of episode exchange between dr clayton forrester and tv's frank on mst3k push the button frank i'm pushing the button clay it's mm. so weird it's one of those things like it's it's not entertaining per se but you probably should see it because it's so weird. Just, you know, watch it a half hour at a time. That's probably the ideal way to watch this. See, uh, you can oh, get God. away with so much if it's in Technicolor. I, I'll sit oh. through the worst movie, but Technicolor, fuck yeah, I'm there. Oh, no, the Technicolor is gorgeous, especially there's a pie fight with, with oh, the yeah. prince at the end that clearly had... Well, okay, I'm not going to say exactly, but... Certain things happen in this pie fight that clearly awakened fetishes in people. That's all I'm <laughs> mm. going to say, but you'll understand when you see the pie fight. But okay. I guess this that movie, with our episode. This movie has a sing-along in it. Towards the end of the movie, the great Leslie pulls out a Spanish guitar and starts singing a song, and the lyrics appear on the screen, and a little ball bounces like you're supposed <sighs> to join in. It is so, so like, weird. 
It felt I like they're trying to do everything with that movie, and it's almost three hours. You said, "Wow." Yeah. So yeah, uh, so I, it's not exactly. And I guess it's a qualified endorsement. Watch this movie in half-hour chunks. You might have a good time. Damn. Where did you see it? Uh, I I uh, it is. I watched it streaming on uh, on HBO Max. It's probably available elsewhere. This used to run almost constantly on AMC in the late late 90s, early 2000s, which is how I was first exposed to it. But at the time, I had never seen it from beginning. I'd never seen it all the way through. So this time, I finally saw it all the way through. What's it called again? The Great Race with Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and Natalie Wood. Oh, my God. All right. I got to watch this. I, I, is this like the like 60s period when movies were just getting like so fucking overblown to compete with television? It, exactly, yeah. And I think this yeah. came out around the same time as those magnificent men in their flying machines, yep. which is essentially the same movie, but in the air and with Benny Hill as a German right. firefighter. <laughs> I kind of love that shit, though. Just the scope of some of that stuff is just crazy. Uh, all right, Alex, what have you been watching? Um, I watched, uh, I recently got a Arrow Blu-ray of um, a couple of spaghetti westerns, um, a pistol for Ringo in The Return of Ringo. Um, Just another kind of Django knockoff. These are very fun movies. I've only started the second one. I haven't watched it in in its entirety yet, but A Pistol for Ringo is really fucking cool. It's got the Enya Morricone score. It's got the fucking, the goofy song that's trying to do the Django thing, but not. You know, so it's peace like and love, peace and love. I'm gonna fill you full of lead. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Um, I, I love the weird Euro pudding vibe of these movies. You've got like Italian, German, fucking Spanish actors pretending they're in Texas, but they're eating fucking ceviche and drinking fucking you know fucking red wine and fucking um, oh, Jesus, what's that shit called? I love red wine blend drink. Um fucking bleh. why am i blanking on this come on dude M- not a mimosa no uh the wine red wine drink um fuck ba la ba fuck it whatever it's it's cool Sangri- it's a Ria? lot of fun thank you sangria yeah it's just it's hilarious like oh texas border town blah, 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 blah. let's drink our fucking sangria and eat fucking ceviche it's it's hilarious um but it's good because they, they do make a character out of it. Because the whole thing with these Westerns after The Man With No Name and Django is that, like, you had to be a semi-talented, decent-looking actor. And you had to have a name, and that was it. You could have a fucking Spaghetti Western. You know, you had Ringo, Trinity, Sana, fucking Angel Eyes, Ring, you know. And they're all pretty... They all fit this, like, you know, requisite standard of what it is to be a Spaghetti Western, but they don't really know what it is those standards are, I guess. Um, but Ringo, the gag is that, like, he's a great, you know, pistolero. He can, you know, fucking shoot a nickel off your finger from 20 yards away. Um, but he doesn't drink. He's like, ah, you want a shot of whiskey? He's like, nope. He's like, makes your hands shake. Makes your, you know, fucks up your vision, you know? It's like, so he only drinks milk. He's like a, a very clean-cut pistolero when... Uh, genre full of you know fucking scrappy mean ugly looking dudes you know um so it's it's a lot of fun i dig these ringo movies a lot directed by uh duccio tesari who did um a lot of giallos a lot of spaghetti westerns um interesting career one of the i think undersung 
Italian dudes. Like you always get the Sergio Leone, Sergio Carbucci, but then you get into like the other substrat of like uh, uh, Enzo Castellari, Duccio Tassari. Um, uh, Lucio Fulci's up there actually too. Uh, he's a little more well known, but there's a lot of layers in the in the skatey western genre, and I am always game for getting into more because you always have these weird like. They like they they smuggle in a lot of like weird Marxist politics into them and like a lot of weird like Catholic baggage and a lot of weird strange religious imagery in these movies and it's a lot of fun to watch. And I went east and he went west and there was still a spark of good in Ringo. Ringo. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's actually a lyric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. So, um. So next week we'll be talking about American Reunion. We'll have a sequel scene to do, though, of American Wedding. Why don't you set the scene, Thrasher? Oh, yeah. So this this is, again, this is a scene that could have worked where this is when Jim is meeting uh, Stifler at the football field where he's coaching a team. Again, it is ambiguous whether this is a high school team or a college team. Uh, and it's them having finally having their confrontation about whether or not Stifler is going to be invited to the wedding. And who wants to be what part? I'll do the football players. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll do I'll just change directions. I'll be stiff. I'll be the stiff meister. Okay. Ooh. All right. Let's. Uh, all right, Stifler. Um, this is uh, a little difficult to explain. Look, you're you're okay. You're okay. I I uh, I mean uh, I mean I like you. Yeah, great. You can blow me after practice. I'm working, dude. Well, dude. Jim and Stifler are both on the tackling sled. Come on, work it, hustle. Any given Sunday. See, uh, my mom didn't know that there is a misunderstanding. Push it, move it. Come on. You're not invited. Hold. Jim and Stifler jump off the sled. Dude, how the hell do you even think you're getting married? I've been looking out for your sex life since high school. Uh, you what? Oh, oh, the first tits this guy ever saw were because of me. The first girl he ever hooked up with was at my party at my cottage. The girl is the girl he's marrying. The stiff man showed him the way. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah, Stifler! But, my fuckers, this mofo here doesn't want the Stiffmeister, the grand fucking facilitator, to attend the wedding. Who sucks donkey dick? Jim sucks donkey dick! The answer is no, okay? I'm sorry. I can dance. What? I can dance! Uh, Again, I don't know why he brings that up then. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Why does he know? Right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you could read minds. That's the the twist. My my theory is that Stifler is actually the origin story for Country Mac, and it's always sunny. Oh, I I did could like be. when he was arguing with the concierge, and the concierge keeps referring to him as Mister Stifler. Like, I waited three <laughs> movies for that joke. <laughs> I've wanted it so long, I can't laugh at it now. (laughs) (laughs) It was funnier in my head.
Interesting. So, all right. So, biography. next week we'll be talking about American Reunion. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at matwbt. You can follow me on Instagram at wt2art. You can follow me on Twitter at crabnebula1914. All right, so until next time, we'll be looking at uh, American Reunion, the last film, theatrical film in the American Pie series uh, for sequel cast two. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher. This is the Stiffmeister. Same. I see you, baby. Shaking that ass. I belong to a secret society of carpenters. We're building the Ark. We're building the Ark.